You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the Darshan Talks Podcast, regulatory guy, irregular podcast with host Darshan Kulkarni. You can find the show on Twitter at Darshan Talks or the show's website at DarshanTalks.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to yet another Darshan Talks podcast. I'm Darshan Kulkarni. I'm an attorney, I'm a physicist, and I advise companies with FDA-regulated products. So if you're interested in an FDA-regulated company or its products, this is the podcast for you. So today's podcast, if you work in promotions, if you work in marketing, if you work in advertising, if you work with any company that is getting promoted, market or, ad, or advertised, this may be an interesting topic for you. Um, our guest is the senior counsel at the Network Advertising Initiative. Uh, he supports the NAI's annual compliance reviews of member companies, and along with the VP of Compliance and Membership Development, leads the management of onboarding new members. In addition, he supports the NAI's international efforts to build relationships with other industry trade organizations in order, order to promote and strengthen the value of NAI membership. So our guest today is Matthew Nichols. And um, welcome, Matthew. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much, Darshan. Really appreciate the invitation. Glad to be on the uh, podcast. So, um, Matthew, let, let's start with the basics. What is NAI? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. We are not the NIA, uh, which is usually <laughs> how I hear it a lot. We are the NAI. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite easily. We are a, we are a couple of things. We've been around since around 2000, so a little over 20 years. We are both a self-regulatory body for the digital adver- third-party digital advertising ecosystem, as well as a trade association for those companies. And so if you think about digital advertising or advertising in general, thinking about publishers where an ad gets served, the, con- the content itself, and you think about the advertisers that are trying to reach their audiences, and then you have all the companies in between, particularly online, who are actually collecting and processing the data to facilitate this, this activity. That's where we come in. We put forth industry best practice around how third parties who don't have the direct interaction with consumers by and large, ensure that appropriate notice requirements or appropriate disclosures are being presented to a consumer user that says, hey, this is what we do with this data. This is how we support advertising. Here is how we support the content that you consume online. So we ensure that our members have privacy policies that accurately describe the way they collect and use data for these purposes, as well as ensuring that they have mechanisms in place that allows a user to say, hey, I don't want to receive digital adver- or targeted digital advertising anymore. I would prefer you to no longer serve me ads that are based on my previous collect or activity on the internet. Um, so that's, that's what we do at a, a very high level. Um, so we put forth our own requirements and we compl- we uh, assess our member companies every year against those requirements through annual compliance reviews. So that, which raises the really basic question to me, where, where are your companies right now? Cause I'm kind of going, I wish I could opt out of the, a lot of these ads and I can sign up for those but no one's asking me those questions. So it really speaks to the importance of what you guys are doing, but how has acceptance been? Is it difficult to get them to sign on to something like this? How does that play out? 
to get companies themselves to sign up to be a member of sure. the NAI? Yeah. I mean, it ranges in any number of scenarios. Like you do have a vast majority of our companies that sign up to be members of the NAI because they recognize this is an important issue. It's by and large a space that's not regulated by law. And obviously that's changing to quite an extent. Um, but you have companies that recognize that this stuff is serious. Like, like look, third-party ad tech tends to get a lot of bad rap and there are certainly bad actors in this space that engage in the activities that make us feel kind of ugh about what it is that they're doing. But by and large, these are companies that are trying to help and facilitate targeted advertising or digital advertising on, on the internet. And so you get most companies that, are, that recognize that and who just want to be set to a higher standard and who will use that as a way of, of showing to the marketplace that, look, we set ourselves to a high standard. We allow a third party to come in and, and assess how it is that we're collecting and using this data and, and we're holding ourselves to best industry practices. And because of the fact we've also been a lot around for over 20 years and we're pretty well regarded in this space in terms of having put together some good thought leadership around what is acceptable uses of consumer data, that a lot of times we also get member companies or applicants based on contractual requirements that just says like, look, I'll work with you, but you need to be a member of the NAI because I they kind of help me serve as my third party risk management arm, if you will. And so that's also what we kind of serve as. And that's also a use case of why we see companies coming to the NAI. But, you know, it's a range of different topics or different reasons for why a company comes to us. Very cool. So, so which really raises the question, I'm not concerned that there aren't single women looking for me in my area because uh, that, that, that must mean <laughs> that I'm not be, I'm being inappropriately targeted. It's not an actual uh, a description of interest in me, but okay. Um, the let, let's sort of start with what happens if they don't follow what NEI's requirements are. What do you guys like? How do you enforce? So, this is what I think makes us fairly unique in how it is that we go about enforcing our requirements. So. And I can't remember if I just mentioned it during our pre-prep talk or if I've already said, but we, we assess our companies every year through an annual compliance review where member companies are required to fill out a questionnaire. They send it back to us and we, we review it. We review their privacy policy and then we have a conversation with them to say, all right, member, here's what you need to do to maintain compliance with our code of conduct. And so the members obviously expected to make whatever changes we may ask of, of them to, to make. We see ourselves very much as working with our member companies to keep them in line, right? Like we, while if a member company refuses to make a certain change to their privacy policy or they refuse to provide an opt-out mechanism for a certain kind of data collection on say a mobile app, uh, and if they say like, no, we, we just don't think we need to, to do that. If the company refuses to work with us, well, that is when you're going to get to enforcement mechanisms, investigations, and we could kick a company out. But thankfully, we don't, we prefer the carrot approach because at least historically, we've been in an environment where we were able to work with our members to bring them into compliance because we think that it's overall, it's better for the marketplace. It's better for consumers if we can work with member companies that do collect this data to keep them within our fold. And so we work with them to bring them into compliance with our code. And if they're not, we expect them to 
um, you know, respond to us and continue to work towards coming into compliance. And so, yeah, I mean, we have the option of referring companies to the FTC if they refuse to uh, abide by their self-regulatory requirements, but they are, which they are required to state in their privacy policies. So if they are not abiding by our self-reg requirements, so they are not following their privacy policy disclosure that says we are a member of the NAI and we adhere to the NAI code of conduct, we may refer them to the FTC to say, hey, they are not following their disclosures in their privacy policy. And so, you know, we do have that potential and, and thankfully it, it generally never reaches that point, but we do see ourselves looking to work with our members to bring them into compliance or maintain compliance with our requirements. Which is very interesting because when you, when you talk about reaching out to the FTC, I see a lot of crossover between what you guys do and what the FTC requires. So in many ways, you're, you're formalizing what FTC expectations are and sort of maybe taking it a couple of steps further. But is that, is that a fair way? Like people aren't signing up for something onerous as best as I can tell they're signing up for, this is the law. And then we're sort of going, this is, there's some meets and bounds here. That's a very fair way of characterizing it. So the FTC as you know, I'm sure you're familiar, but maybe some aren't have the authority to investigate and enforce against companies engaged in unfair or deceptive trade practices, right? So that's their FTC section, FTC Act Section 5 power. Um, and obviously that leaves a pretty broad <laughs> uh, way of interpreting how to apply that. And so in, in digital advertising, the, the, the FTC has come out uh, a handful of years ago now, but they have put forth, you know, privacy principles that are pretty well familiar to the anyone who's in the space, the, the fair information practice principles. And if you look at our code of conduct, what we have done is we've taken those principles and we've applied them to the third party space, right? Because the way that we interact with our members, we see them every single year. We go through a compliance review with them every single year. We learn how the industry is evolving in the space as a result of that. So we know that when we say, hey, member, you are required to do X, Y, Z. Well, if it's a really, if it's a poorly crafted requirement on our part, we're going to find out pretty quickly because we're going to have to enforce that on our members. And if they're all saying like, hey, I don't know how to comply with this, or I need further help or guidance because of this new way that we're making use of data, or there's this new technology that we want to, to take advantage of. Like we have to think through like, all right, well, how do our requirements apply in this manner because we assess our companies every year and we want to help them maintain compliance. So it works as a good feedback loop. And so over the course of 20 years, our code has evolved to the point of which our requirements are very tailored, if you will, to companies that act in the space as third parties who don't have that direct touch point with consumers by and large. So when you talk about um, you tracking and guiding companies in in sort of how to interpret some of these requirements, um, what are some trends you're starting to see now? What are some sort of new things that are popping up where you're going, wait a second, we, we let's explore this a little bit further? So it's it's a quickly evolving, growing space, and it's always changing. And so I would say some of the things that we're seeing in the last couple couple years in terms of, uh, of the signs of the growing space, certainly TV is is an, a medium that has historically not been one that has been very data-driven. And obviously over the last 
however many years now, we're seeing a, a pretty big shift or, or push to connect to televisions and the ability to reach certain audiences on my over the my Apple TV or my Roku box device. And so the requirements there, and because it's still very much an evolving, changing space, trying to put our requirements that are technology neutral. So when we have our privacy requirements, it doesn't say, you know, on a website, member does X, Y, Z, or when you're using a cookie versus a mobile advertising ID, this is how you're supposed to apply these requirements. We, we try to keep it high level enough that it's technology neutral, but in a space like television where the identifiers are still kind of evolving, we don't really have a, a set standard for how companies can, can use consumer data to drive advertising. It makes it difficult for us to try and um, um, put out requirements that are specific to that space. Like for instance, what we're seeing a lot of times is that the way to reach particular devices is based off an IP address and IP addresses change pretty frequently. And so while there could be some data involved in that, it's, it's a very, um, it's not a very consistent identifier and it makes it difficult to provide choice around that. So we try to put out guidance or, or support our members on how they can still provide a choice mechanism behind a, in a channel that doesn't always have a consistent identifier for how users are being shown ads. So it's interesting you talk about that because the two things that have popped up in recent times for me is uh, TCL TVs. And there was a whole argument. Uh, I don't know if you followed that at all. But um, for me, it, it sort of said that uh, I think it was the TCL TVs, I guess, are made in China. And there's an argument that Chinese people, uh, Chinese, the Chinese government can access um, user data for U.S. users. And that is a security risk. Um, I, I will say that despite knowing that, I went and said, cheapest TV, I'm going to get it. And I paid $250 for a really cheap TV. Um, but but is that the type of stuff you get into where you go, um, this is something we need to guide and control and regulate? Or is that outside the scope of what NAI is really getting into? Uh, it's tough. I mean, certainly being a like being aware that that is the dialogue that's happening in the public around concerns around privacy. Yeah. I mean, obviously we want to be mindful of that and, and be aware of how that is shaping the narrative around data-driven advertising. I mean, as it relates specifically to what, how we support our members dealing with a scenario in which perhaps there is backdoor in place on certain devices in which data is then being funneled back to a, a foreign government. We, we do not have the, the bandwidth to, to address that kind of particular concern uh, where we, but that's certainly not to say that it's something that we can ignore either by any stretch, because, you know, while we would love to be able to play in our particular swing lane of, concerns around consumer privacy for advertising related purposes. It's tough to get there to, to show consumers that, look, I know that you don't, there are concerns around how your data is being used and you're not always comfortable. You're not necessarily comfortable about what it is that you don't know how this data is being collected and shared and used. So 
yeah, we can't ignore that either as well. And as much as we would want to just stick to making sure that appropriate notice and choice mechanisms are in place for how data is being used specifically for advertising, the fact that it can be shared and used for other purposes outside of advertising um, is something we have to be very conscious of. And it's something that certainly in our code right now that we're the new version of the code that we're, we're driving right now, we're looking to address non-advertising uses of consumer data with that growing recognition that this isn't just an, an advertising conversation. And in fact, we would probably argue that a lot of the main concerns around use of data from consumers is probably outside of advertising. It's sharing it with governments. It's sharing it with um, entities that are using it for purposes outside of advertising. Like, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're seeing to a certain extent that consumers are probably aware that this is what's happening. And, and obviously they do have some um, legitimate concerns around who are the different players that are getting access to this data. But if we're being confront, we're being upfront with them and we are making it very clearly well known, like, look, you are going to access this, this content or this website or this app. And the way that this app is able to monetize its content is by using some of your data to serve you targeted ads, if you're not trying to pull the rug underneath or, or trying to be tricky with what it is that you're using consumer data for, I think consumers are, are okay with that. And they just don't want to be lied to. They don't want to be like, find out that like, in fact, their data was being sold to some private entity for something they had no idea about. So I think that's the struggle that we're, we're trying to find. So it is a privacy issue, but it's also a, it's a messaging issue as well. It is, absolutely. And it's a transparency issue, if you will. Um, absolutely. Which, which really raises the, the second question. Um, you talked about TVs, and um, at this point, TVs are almost low-tech, for lack of a better term, even though the TVs themselves are getting more and more higher-tech. Um, it's, it's, it's funny, I had this conversation with, um, with, with a TV advertising person, and she informed me that we've now reached the point where TVs can... Uh, identify people within uh, like groups of people within certain number of blocks and therefore target provide targeted messaging for the, that, that level of um, that, that level of specificity. My, my question to you is, do you think that going forward, TVs need to start containing, or at least your cable uh, cable provider or your over the, over the air provider needs to start telling you that we're now targeting you specifically based on, where you live or did we all should we have already known that by now i mean certainly to the extent that an isp or, or the cable provider themselves are, are engaged in this kind of activity yeah absolutely. i mean we are very much uh, an organization that feels that consumers need to be fully informed of this activity and provide the autonomy to choose whether or not they want to allow this kind of activity to occur so yeah, I mean, I think what, and I think, Darshan, what you were, you were starting to hit at maybe a little bit, or maybe I'm just choosing to steer your question in this direction, is that it's difficult to do that on, on televisions. Like the the ability for consumers to interact with like a, with notice and disclosures is, is difficult. Like certainly there are TVs that like Vizio comes to mind, Samsung comes to mind, where the manufacturer of the TV themselves is allowing or making that data available for, for advertising. And because of recent FTC decisions, 
it's become very clear, like you need to provide upfront notice to a user around that, providing a, a choice mechanism. Now, you can certainly argue with how good or how well that's being implemented at the, at the moment, because I think as a consumer, when I'm setting up a new TV, I'll just flip in as quick as I can so I can see how great that big screen looks in my new living room, right? So I think there's particularly in, in that context, maybe there is a need for additional notice to be provided to a user to, to remind them like, look, just so you remember, this is something that you you signed up to do. But TV is is a difficult space to, to do that with, like particularly on the devices themselves, like you see some manufacturers that are moving towards this, but um, I would say where we're seeing better disclosure and choice opportunities around um, set-top boxes more than anything else, like your Apple TVs and so on. It, it's it's still very much like if you don't have a clear, and it gets back to what I was saying earlier, right? Like if you don't have a clear identifier for how this data is being connected back to a user, companies are going to try and find their own ways of, of trying to associate certain activity to a particular device that makes it difficult to provide choice mechanisms to that. So I would say any movement towards that provides that more clear, direct upfront notice to consumer, and then the ability on that device to project or, or to provide their choice as to that is a direction that ought to be moved towards on, on these devices. So, oops. Oh, <laughs> so you, you talk about... Um, oh, great, I can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me? Is it me? I can hear you. Hello? Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Oh, good. So, which raises the question you, you talk about identifiers. And um, I, I think it's sort of interesting because the big question right now that everyone's talking about is the use of. Um, of cookies as identifiers and where that's evolving. Um, I know that it's a, it's a much discussion and Facebook and Apple are having huge fights over it right now. Could you explain the, the problem right now and why cookies are important um, and the fight for the presence of cookies and, and not necessarily NAI's position. I don't know if you guys have a position yet, but where does it take us? Yeah. I mean, into a new environment, certainly. Um, so at a very high level, I'll, I'll kind of try unpack this here a little bit. Um, so I, and I think I, I mentioned this earlier, right? Is that like the, the movement we're seeing on, on actions towards enhancing consumer privacy on the internet, it, not being driven so much at the federal level. We're seeing at the state level, certainly with the CCPA, CPRA, Virginia and other state privacy laws, but really what's driving this, I guess, inflection point for the, the industry is, is happening more at the platform level. And when I say platform, I mean the Apples and Chromes of the world. So Apple over the last several years has been taking more and more steps to um, limit the way or, or provide friction, I'll try to use my words carefully, around how, um, data can be collected on whether it's browsers or their, the iPhone for advertising uses. So they were they took steps to prevent what we would call fingerprinting on browsers, which is 
generally seen as a, a fairly opaque way of collecting consumer data for advertising. And, and one may argue how they went about it may not have been ideal, but I think for the most part, limiting browser fingerprinting is probably seen, is seen as a good development. Um, but then certainly Apple has also done things such as turning off third-party cookies by default. Um, and then now Chrome over, you know, around this, I guess, end of 2019, I think, um, announced that they would in fact be deprecating or, you know, shutting down third-party cookies altogether on the Chrome browser. And so what that has done, and because a lot of traffic for online advertising goes through the Chrome browser just because it has that large of a market share, the industry is now kind of hustling to figure out, all right, how do we still engage in a, a level of advertising that allows us to, to stay alive, I guess, um, while also recognizing that there is a reason why cookies are going away. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing kind of a splitting of approaches for where do we, how do we pick the pieces up after third-party cookies go away? Chrome is leading a conversation right now, what they're calling the Google Privacy Sandbox. And right now that conversation is taking place around the W3C, which is a primarily a browser online standards body where they're trying to figure out how do we allow for certain use cases of digital advertising within Chrome, as well as providing some form of what they call cohort or flock-based targeting, which is group level targeting. So doing away with any user level targeting that could occur. And while they haven't outright said that they're not gonna allow for user level advertising, it, it at least seems as of now that the, the Chrome side of Google is, is, feels as though user level targeting is, is not where the internet should be headed towards. But there is still largely driven by the, the technology space the digital technology space saying that, well, look, there is still a need for user level targeting for advertisers. There is definitely changes that need to be made around certain technical accountability to make sure that you know, users are, or companies are actually using this technology in a way that doesn't, pro, doesn't go outside of what they agree to use it for. Um, but at the, the, the same time, there has to be a, a, another conversation around how do we ensure as an industry, because third-party cookies went away for a reason. And, and while right now there's a lot of conversation around allowing user-level targeting to still exist by relying on some form of a hashed identifier or a hashed email address, we have to figure out how we're going to do that without having to completely re-architect all the underlying technology that facilitates programmatic advertising. But we also need to still figure out how do we make sure that we get the message right to make sure that consumers are aware that this is what's happening and that they are actively consenting to allowing this to happen. Whereas before with cookies, and it's a very fair point is that, look, this was passive data collection. Users weren't really aware of the fact that when they went to random, you know, movie website that um, their data about their browser was being collected and used and shared for advertising. And yeah, users need to be better informed of that activity so that they know that when they access this content, it's being fueled by data-driven ad advertising. Because while there is an argument to be said that, look, data that relates to my browser, to my mobile device, where it can be deleted or reset pretty easily by doing away with cookies, it's 
still bothersome or still worrisome around how I don't really get to be well informed of how this happens. And so consumers have that right and, and should be better informed of, of how that's happening and, and providing opportunities to say whether or not they want to allow themselves to participate in this ecosystem. I probably went off a little bit, but I, I think I hopefully answered at least a part of what you, your original question. It's easy to you go did. off, as you, you can tell. Hey, guys. Um, sounds like we're having some technical difficulties. Our guests, we actually landed up discussing a whole bunch of things around uh, audio. Uh, well, we discussed some things around how cookies are used. We talked about digital advertising. We talked about the NAI's function. Um, we talked about uh, just the difference between connecting it to email versus connecting it to cookies. Um, and we talked about things like Google and dumb TVs um, and digital advertising overall. We also talked about the FTC and how um, NAI connects to the FTC. Uh, we did have some tef- uh, technical difficulties, so we apologize for that. But hopefully you guys did enjoy the conversation. And um, for those of you who missed it, you can actually find Matthew on LinkedIn at Matthew Nichols. Um, and he's also at the NAI website. Um, if you do like this podcast, please leave a comment and subscribe. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at Darshan Talks, or you can find me on our website at darshantalks.com. Thanks, guys. This is the Darshan Talks podcast, regulatory guy, irregular podcast with host Darshan Kulkarni. You can find the show on Twitter at Darshan Talks or the show's website at darshantalks.com.